buying behavior has changed. Prospects don't click on links and emails anymore, and they don't watch the videos you spend hours creating every week. Instead, send personalized gifts and memes using Vidyu. You can quickly create engaging, personalized content that immediately grabs your prospect's attention, helps you stand out in the inbox, and does it all without forcing them to click anything or go anywhere. Head over to vidyou.io slash salescast to sign up for free and spend less time getting your messages across and more time selling. In the world of sales, you either sink, swim, or break through to the next level. My name's Colin Mitchell, and this is Sales Transformation, a new kind of sales show designed to bring you through the epic, life-changing moments of elite sellers so you can experience your own sales transformation. All right, welcome to another episode of Sales Transformation. Super pumped up for today's guest. I've got more Asseline. He is a uh, founder and two times VP of sales. He went from quitting his first sales uh, job out of college because of fear of sales to becoming a three-time sales leader, two-times VP of sales, and founder of the From Demo to Close program, teaching AEs how to close 50-plus percent more of their sales demos. We're definitely going to dig into that. More, thanks so much for coming on the show. How you doing? Good, Colin. How's it going about you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, did I? How did I do on the last name? Yeah, I was waiting on that. It's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, pretty much nailed it. Nailed it. Nailed it on the first try. All right. So uh, I had a ton of fun, um, you know, meeting with you and, and everything. And, and I'm excited to, to you know, kind of talk more about, you know, these mic drop demos, right? Which I think a lot of AEs are probably super curious to learn, like, how the heck do I start closing 50 plus percent more of my yeah. demos? Uh, but before we get into that, let's first, you know, kind of dig into your story. What was your first sales job that you quit? I'm, I'm curious and we'll take it from there. Yeah, it was, uh, it was 11 years ago. It was, um, I found it on Craigslist. It was like a legit company, sort of like a living social. Um, uh-huh. so they, you go to restaurants, cold call them, schedule appointments and you know, they would buy your coupons and you would get a percentage of the revenue that you acquired, just like living social or like mm-hmm. a Groupon or whatever it is. Um, so that was, that was the gig. And the founder was really nice guy. He's like, hey, you know, first day on the like during the interview, he's like, you're killing it. He goes, we we already have other candidates, but we want you, so we're gonna tell other candidates no if you're interested. And I said, hell yeah, I'm interested. He's like, okay, we're gonna order you business cards. Like, All right, see you on Monday at 10 a.m. I said, cool, great, pumped, whatever it is. Got my first real sales. Like I did retail sales in in uh, college and all that. Um, first day on the job, I come in introduces me to the team. He's like, hey, by the way, here are your business cards. He's like, this is your team. And so far, so good. He's like, yeah. all right, there's the computer and, you know, you know, go ahead and start dialing away, you know, do, your, do whatever you, you do. I'm like, okay. And I just sat there and the first thing I did, I opened the computer and I just checked up my uh, Hotmail. I was like, all right, I'll just check out my Hotmail. I don't know why. I just, it's the first thing I did. I was like, all right, I'll just go through my spam folder. And I was like, holy shit, I can't make a phone call. I'm, I'm petrified. Especially mm. with these like new hire like these new new employees next to me. I'm like, yeah. they're gonna judge me. I just super like crazy panic attack. Went to the bathroom, literally splashed my face. I, I, I looked in the mirror, I'm like, Oh, this isn't for me. So I went I walked towards his office and I'm like, Hey man, I'm I'm so sorry, this it's just not for me. 
He's like, what? I'm like, yeah, this isn't for me. Sales isn't for me. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm so sorry. He, he just looked at me like, he's like, okay, best of luck. And I walked out and I drove home. And uh, I was still living at home, and my dad like yelled at me for quitting. He's like, "Get your job back!" And I emailed the guy back. I was like, "Hey, uh, my, you know, I'm supposed to come back to you." No response, and I just avoided sales for like two, three years. Anything that was remotely sales, I just would either quit, skip, or just like you know, brush under the rug. Wow. So, do you do you have? I'm uh, clearly you had no idea that making calls was part of the job, huh? I I did I did. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why. Like I don't know what happened. Like uh, I I did like I and in college, you know, I did some like just to get some paid, you know, like some money. I did some cold calling in cash advance, but like I don't know why this was like the official job and like the real job right out of college. It was like, you know, it's all official now. There's like an official stamp on it. And then, um, you know, the mo- and then he introduced, like when I did cold calling in, in college, I didn't have anyone in the room. It was just me. So I was like, all right, whatever. But like, it was official. Um, and that's, I don't know, it scared the crap out of me. I think that's what, like, I, th- I think that's what made me scared. I-, I don't know. I just freaked out. I was like, I cannot. And because of that, because I sort of like brushed, a- brushed it under the rug, um, just a phone ringing, like I then I took positions in marketing. I was like a marketing manager, or whatever. Yeah. Just being in the office and a phone ringing would freak me out. Um, calling a, a person or a vendor that I've never talked to before would, and I would avoid it. I would, I would tell the founder, I'm like, that wasn't what I was hired for. He's like, what? I'm like, I wasn't hired to do this. And so, like, I, I missed a lot of job opportunities, and I had like serious PTSD um, for a telephone, um, and I just wasted away my my early 20s i would wake up you yeah. know like i job topped and then i couldn't hold a job and, and i would just wake up at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon bumming out my dad would come he's like you know you know you're still in bed what the hell is this and yeah it was it wasn't good times you know all my friends were like getting getting into the jobs and moving to new york and i was just doing nothing um it's kind wow. of depressing yeah that is some severe call reluctance yeah. right? <laughs> I mean, you hear of salespeople, you know, like feeling like the the phone weighs a million pounds, or yeah. they can't pick it up, or call reluctance. I mean, it's a it's a real thing. Um, I'm curious, at what point did you sort of like work through that or get over that fear? Yeah, it didn't happen for like until like three, four years afterwards. Um, I think I was like 25 or 26. I don't remember exact age, and uh, I was. Um, I was at a real estate company, long story short, they were doing sketchy stuff, so I left. And I was like, you know what, if I really, because I wanted to do real estate at one point. I was like, you know, if I really want to learn real estate investments, <clears throat> I should learn it from the ground up. And at the time, I was like, you know, the best move maybe would be to just join a brokerage that's good at training and do exactly what they say. My dad told me something really good uh, when I was younger. He's like, um, in life, you sometimes have to be naive. And w- what he meant by that was like, because I was like, he would, he would say like, hey, why don't you apply here? Why don't you apply here? And I'd throw back at him like, yeah, if I apply here, this is going to happen. And I know it's going to... I was like, I was being too smart for my own good. And he's like, and life, be naive. He's like, go take blind risks sometime. Um, don't overanalyze. Don't overthink. Just pretend it's you're, you're seeing it for the first time. Like, that's why ignorance is sort of bliss because you're doing it for the first time. You're not... You don't know what you don't know and you just kind of do it. That's why being young is awesome. Um, when you're older, you're like, oh, I've been there, done that. So, no, no, no. Um, and that was his advice and I was like, okay, so let me let me do that with the, becoming a real estate agent. Um, and so, I joined and they were... They have really good training and they were really bullish around calling and door knocking. And mm-hmm. I remember when I joined, um, 
they have like a every Monday or every Tuesday, whatever it was, they had like a training, sales training, objection training, whatever it is. And somebody I knew, like a mutual friend from the community, is like, "Hey, I, uh, you know, we know each other. Oh, you just got your license. I got my license. Listen, uh, you know, I don't feel comfortable cold calling by myself and door knocking. Do you want to do it together?" So we we're both like, "Yeah." And so I found an accountability partner um, who had, you know, a similar hesitancy around cold calling and door knocking, but we found ourselves in a position where we had to do it. Um, and so every morning we would door knock. We would cold call from 9 a.m. to 11:30. Um, AM and then door knock because we had to drive to the neighborhood from 12 p.m. to 2 p.m. and then to help like pay my bills because as a real estate agent you're you're independent you 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 close a deal you make money you don't you don't make money um, I got a job at Allstate doing cold calling they needed a telemarketer <laughs> I was like all right this is really gonna help me my real estate and it's gonna sort of cross pollinate and so for 12 months straight, I was doing cold calling, door knocking with real estate, with uh, insurance, life insurance, car insurance. And uh, I ca- actually calculated how many calls I made during that 12-month period. M- roughly, it was around 72,000 cold calls. I used an wow. auto dialer. And so I tracked. I, I knew with an auto dialer, I make X amount of calls per, per hour times X, whatever. Um, and so that really got me very comfortable with rejection. But it wasn't even – I think cold calling, the whole fear of all that is like you – you're, you're your like worst own enemy, right? Like you get into your head so much, and that's what I did. I got into my head, and I'm playing what if scenarios before I even pick up the phone, and so I no longer want to pick up the phone because I've just created a different reality that doesn't exist. Um, and door knocking and cold calling, doing real estate agent life and all, uh, insurance time time um, really got me into a place of doing versus thinking as much. Um, so it wasn't like a moment that changed. It was just like compounded moments over time. And wow. So I mean, yeah. it, it went from like fully being petrified of the yeah. phone, uh, cold calling PTSD <laughs> to fully jumping all in and just embracing cold calling, door knocking on two jobs. I mean, yeah. Door knocking was how- interesting. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you a crazy story. So, I live in in South Florida, Miami, and so um, my former partner were like, "Hey, why don't we door knock? Forget like these homes that are a hundred thousand dollars. Let's door knock on these like multi million dollar homes. All we need is one. All we need yeah. is one." It's like, "Yeah, sick idea." So we went to a, a neighborhood here called Golden Beach, which Grant Cardone now lives in. Tommy Hilfiger sold his hat. Like it's a really well known neighborhood, really expensive. If you drive a mile over the speed limit, you're getting a ticket. It's like that type of neighborhood. And so we go there and we're like, all right, we for sure have a feeling it's going to be like really um, sensitive for us to door knock. So let's go to City Hall. So we went to City Hall and we uh, got a solicitation permit from the town manager or town hall manager, whatever it was. Um, So it gives permission to door knock. And so one day we're door knocking and we knocked on someone's door. They opened the door. And as I'm like, not like I guess pitching introduce. I'm like, hey, sir, my name is Marceline. I'm with Keller Williams, blah, blah. He just goes like the entire time as I'm talking, he's like, like this. He's like, no. No, no, get the fuck out of my ass. I'm like, holy <laughs> shit. I'm like, what happened? He's like, you can't door knock here. You're not allowed to solicit. Da, 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 da. And my friend, my partner goes, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. We're, you know, we're going to leave. I'm like, okay. And then he starts following us to our car. He's like, you can't. I'm calling the police. I'm like, call the police. Do whatever you want. Um, he's like, I'm calling the police. Don't go anywhere. I'm like, we have a solicitation permit. He's like, yeah, yeah, prove it. I pulled it out, showed him the solicitation permit. He's like, bullshit. He calls the police. The police tell us to meet them in the in the city hall. 
like because it's a small city. Um, we go there. We meet the, ch- the the chief of police there, the the city, the town hall, the mayor, or whatever it was, and the guy that's like <laughs> frustrated. He said, "These guys and these guys, you know, like the neighbor, like the residents pay top dollar. They pay the police a lot of money." And yeah. so the police is like, "Oh, I know you guys. Like you, I see you door knocking in the morning. Keep at it, guys." And he just walked out. And the guy just like went crazy. This is it. And so I think that moment I was like, holy shit, like I have zero fear of, of like that, like was an example of me stripping my fear. And I was like, wow, that actually gave me way more confidence, right? Because when you're dealing with that type of irate, irate customer then, or whatever it is, um, and you're able to handle it, you're like, wow, I have n- newfound confidence. That yeah, was just I'm, one of many stories. I mean, I think when you experience, you know, being treated like that, in 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 your job or in your role, whatever. Whether I mean, people get verbally abused on the phone. You know, you call somebody's cell phone and they get upset because you're calling their cell phone. Um, yeah, it's a little different in person, obviously. Um, but when you have that happen, and you're like, okay, that's the worst that could happen. Right. So that's already happened now, and anything else, you know, between a good positive outcome and in between there. I can deal with, right? Yeah. And and there's a lot to be said about like leaning into the things that actually make you uncomfortable, spe- specifically in your sales role, right? Whether that's door knocking, cold calling, running a demo for the first time, right? right? Whatever the case is, whatever it is that you are uncomfortable with or not confident in, you need to just lean into it and, and do it as much as possible. Something that worked well for me is just like, what's the worst that could happen, right? And if I can sort of play in my head, like worst case scenario, like that's a pretty crazy story. <laughs> like dude chasing yeah. you, calling the cops, like telling you, get cursing you, get it out of here. Like that's the worst that can happen. You're still okay. Then it's a little bit easier to have like some comp- muster, some confidence to just, you know, do the action anyway. Yeah. I think the fear with a lot of folks, I mean, it's very different having a fear of sales when you're working for yourself versus working for somebody else where if you're working for somebody else and you're doing the demo for the first time or cold calling for the first time, you feel like you're being judged some way, somehow. I, I know because I've, I've been there. And so you're like, oh, wow, they're judging me. Uh, they realize like I'm a bad hire. I'm not, you know, I was really confident in the interview, but I'm not so confident. And like, again, you, you, it, you, same thing that as before, you just get into your head. Um, and I think like you said, the only way to, to like break it is to lean into it aggressively. Um, that's why, you know, some companies their onboarding is like, you know, you got on your first sales call only one month after. I think somebody, I mean, like I've done that before, but I think the sooner you get on a call, whether you're leading the sales call, or whether you're just doing the introduction or whatever it is, you should do it as soon as possible. Um, yeah. Not not one month later or two months later. Yeah. Just get those new experiences out yeah. of the way, under your belt, um, get it over with. You know, lean into it happening more often, right? To get comfortable, right? Uh, yeah. You know, uh, get comfortable in uncomfortable situations, right? Yeah. And and that's gonna push you beyond your limits. There's a lot of growth that happens in there, both personally and professionally. So many benefits. Um, and and that even just like flexing that muscle in on in one particular thing has a ripple <laughs> effect into like everything else that you do, or even just as a person, right? So. All right, so I, I, some some very interesting stories here from from quitting your sales job yeah. on day one. I mean, you even had business cards, man. It was official. <laughs> it was it was official. Um, you know, yeah, it was it was it was official. I had, they ordered me a computer. It was like I had my desk, and yeah, it was a pretty embarrassing moment. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and then, you know, being chased out of a small community by somebody. I didn't even know you had to get a, a permission to solicit in, in particular yeah, areas. But I had a feeling because it was like a really like snotty community like area and, and, it, and it was. But so my mistake was like because it was such a wealthy community, the homeowners weren't home. They were at work. And so it was only the housekeepers that were home. So we, I was like, oh, so if the housekeeper's home, we should learn Spanish and ask them where the homeowners are. And so we're like, donde el jefe or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, there was another time where my friend knocked on the door. It was his turn to like pitch. We were doing it together. And so he pitched the homeowner and she was in the balcony inside the home. It was a huge home. And she's like, no, not interested. And as they were closing the door, I took my, this is a true story. Like I'm not exaggerating. I, I took my, my, my leg, my foot, and I put it in the door, like in between the door. So she couldn't close it. I'm like, one more thing. And then I went in to ask her additional questions. And like my friend felt uncomfortable where I felt extremely comfortable. Um, and you and, and the times where you like getting you know the next door that you knock on, you're like, if I did that, then I could totally do this, right? And and you just yeah, just interesting how it evolved from like complete fear to complete comfort. Wow, yeah, I mean that's pretty that's some persistence at a whole nother level, right? <laughs> yeah, I got that from my uncle. He did that in uh, London with uh, uh, insurance. He's like, yeah, I did that one time on, so that popped into my head when it happened. All right. Well, I mean, so tell me a little bit about kind of what your sales path, you know, career looked like, you know, after yeah. these initial, like getting over that cold call, door knocking, you know, phone reluctance. Yeah. So that was, that was like the, the, the official start to sales, right? Like I, I did sales like in retail, in high school, I sold a hair irons. Uh, my friend would throw parties and I would sell tickets. So like I did that, right. But it was to people I knew. Um, so I did cold calling, after a, f a full year of doing real estate, um, usually they say that the first year is the hardest, and most people quit after that. Um, you don't make you don't make money really. It's really hard building pipeline. Um, and so I read an article I was in the office at like eight p.m. and I, was, I read an article that Redfin bought out some brokerage, and um, so the idea was Redfin would hire full time agents to work for them with benefits, and they would essentially have their job description to be what I do, except these agents would have benefits. And I'm like, all right. Holy shit! I'm up against Redfin's agents. I'm like, yeah. Where am I in in like the you know like the spectrum of successful real estate agent? Was I above average? I was like, no, I'm not even average. I'm way below average. It's my first year, and so I had a choice. I was like, either I join another brokerage or I join a team, then I can just piggyback off of their momentum, or I go into commercial real estate, which is very different than residential, or Maybe I should join a company like Redfin, not necessarily real estate, but technology. Maybe maybe I'm in the wrong industry. Maybe I should just join tech because it looks like tech is taking over everything, including real estate, and it, it's it's pushing me out. Um, and so it wasn't an easy decision. So I spoke to like a bunch of people. Long story short, one of my buddies said, "Hey, you could always go back into commercial real estate, or real estate's always going to be there." Um, but you know, if you feel like there's a, a a wave that's building up in tech and you want to ride it, then ride it. And so that's what I did. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to tech and I need to join a startup. And so the first thing I did was go on Craigslist, typed up, you know, startup, research startups, found a startup, uh, Tel Aviv based company. They're looking to, to open in Miami and I'd be the first to hire in the US. So I was like, all right, perfect opportunity. And I didn't care what they did. I just wanted to join a startup. And so I joined after five months, they ran out of funding. They only had about 185K in funding. And so I was the highest paid employee, which I wasn't paid that much, but um, uh, ran out of funding. I was like, all right, shit, all right, what do I do now? And so I joined another startup. Um, it was a, another tech company, 
funding, nobody liked the idea. Nobody wanted it. Nobody wanted the product. Um, so went to market. It was just a disaster and a flop. After five months of that company, that whole company shut down. That like tech company shut down. I was like, all right, uh, what do I do now? And so my, my buddy told me, he's like, hey, why don't you join this company called Practice Panther? I was like, oh, yeah, I know the guy that's that owns it. Like, I kind of know him. I don't want to join the company just in order to find a job. Like, I don't want to burn a bridge and blah, blah, blah. He's like, okay, I understand. And like a week and a half later, I was like, you know, maybe I, I'll look into it. So I went mm-hmm. to meet with the founder, uh, fell in love with it, fell in love with what they do. And then I joined as like the first employee, first sales hire, first everything. Um, and so I used whatever skill set and experience and confidence in sales and cold calling to do my first like real sales demos. And he obviously he trained me along the way. And that was like my real experience into like SaaS and sales demos and all that crap. Uh, and then since then, I've, I've been doing it ever since then, right? Like, so I, after four years of that company, um, it got acquired. Uh, I became VP of sales six months into the job. Three years after that, it was acquired. Um, I did consulting for about a year, and then I joined a company called Okendo in January 2020 as a uh, early stage sales hire, go to market, became VP of sales, um, hired, trained, grew. I'm no longer there, and I launched a, a sales demo course <clears throat> for AEs, training them on how to close 50 plus percent of the sales demos. So it feels it feels like a long uh, sort of. Uh, career path ish, but it doesn't as I'm like saying it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. And so where did you, what are some things that you sort of discovered, you know, in the demo process that you needed to work on or get better at to have, you know, what you like to say, these mic drop demos. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah. I think tonality is one of those things that, um, there's not like a formal training on, um, and you either, have somebody call you out on it or you pit, you're able to pay attention. You know, like I've, you, you pay your, your own attention. You're like, oh wow, I sound like a robot. Um, so tonality, when I was doing cold calling and all that, tonality was a huge thing. At the time when I was in real estate, uh, Wolf of Wall Street came out. And so tonality was the whole thing. And me and my friend were like, oh, it's all about tonality. And so we saw like results, but, um, and so I was like, all right, tonality is clearly um, a skill set that if you develop well enough, that you can have mic drop demos. So like, for example, I always tell this to people, I'm like, I want you to, the, to imagine the word tiny for a minute and then yeah. describe tiny to me with your body language and then say the word tiny as you're describing tiny with your body language. And so every time I ask this to someone, they're always like, tiny. I was like, oh, yeah, exact, exactly. So notice how their voice also shrunk tiny. Yeah. You want to say, let's do the opposite. Like, I want you to describe the word huge for me using your body language and then say the word huge as you're doing it. Huge. Like the word just expands. And so tonality has a huge impact on on mic drop demos because when you're doing a punchline for a feature, for a price, for whatever it is, you can leverage tonality to make it more dramatic. And that sort of, like, just like a, like, you know, like when, when a, a song has like a drop, like it builds up, it builds up and then has a drop. So it's the same thing. It's all sort of like tonality rhythm. Yeah. And you hear people talk about cold, you know, tonality when making cold calls, but you rarely hear people talking about tonality in the demo, um, which, which I don't know why, but, uh, but it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, something that I notice a lot in, in, in demos, uh, or, you know, sellers, you know, struggle with in demos is a lot of times they go on these sort of like press play monologue, Mm. just like talking a lot. And it's not super interactive. What are your thoughts on, on that? And, and, yeah. and I'd love to hear what you think. Yeah, it, it, it happens to me sometimes, right? Like 
when I used to get on demos, I would ask the 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 prospect like, "Hey, have you watched the movie Ace Ventura?" And if you're old enough, they're all like, "Yeah, of course, I love Ace Ventura." I'm like, you know the scene where where uh, Jim Carrey like takes a deep breath and then just spews a bunch of information until his last breath. So like, yeah, I'm like, all right, I tend to be Ace Ventura, and so cut me off. So I had a bad habit of of going on monologues, and I thought it was really good in the beginning because I was like, oh my god, tonality and energy and enthusiasm. But like the person loses you, it's just you get lost in in, in the hype. Um, so I'm heavy on making sure like that there's a lot of engagement on the demo and stopping yourself. So if you find yourself like just blur blurbing out like a bunch of information, call yourself out. Like I've done it on demos. I was like after a feature talk track, I was like, whoa, that sounded like an infomercial. I'm so sorry. Let me let me backtrack a little bit and then like I'll pause and ask questions. Um, yeah, I, I think feature dumping is, is a disaster. Yeah. And and sometimes it's just even just being uh aware that you can yeah. I think I think a lot of people tend to have that habit cuz they can just get comfortable and get in a groove or get in a you know a motion where they're just, you know, talking and going and then they get to a certain point where they're like I'm really tired of hearing myself talk, so they must be <laughs> tired of hearing yeah. me talk, right? And so I mean, how do how does a how does a seller like make a demo more of a you know conversation than just a monologue. Sure. A few ways. Um, I mean, one of the ways is sort of a, a preemptive and post uh, demo scenario where they would listen to the recordings, and then the second thing is they would look at data. So, like I love Gong and everything that it does, and I'm sure there's other software that does similar to Gong where you can see talk time between the rep and the prospect, and so that's one thing to pay attention to. <clears throat> so if your talk if your talk time is like sixty four percent and the prospect is a lot less and your goal is to increase that or at least balance it out so it to be like 50-50 or whatever it is, or maybe even 60-40 prospect. Um, and so having that in the back of your mind as you're doing the demo helps. Um, and then wa- watching the recordings allows you to be like, holy shit, that's how I sound and that's how it's going to be like. And so you're way more aware as you're doing demos. Um, but if you're on the demo and you're like, all right, I'm talking too much. How do I, I change it up and make it more conversational? I mean, you should have a, a list. Uh, I mean, you should know... Um, uh, continuous discovery questions that you that you plan on asking. Sometimes it just comes up naturally, but like a yeah. continuous discovery question, be like, "Hey, based on what it showed you, how does that align to X?" Or yeah. you mentioned earlier on the call that you're using this feature in this way. Um, thoughts on this, right? Like, so stopping the to- the 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 monologue with questions. Cause and open-ended questions allows the prospect to talk a lot more. If you're asking a yes or no questions, you're only going to get a yes or a no. But if you're asking open-ended questions, then the prospect just opens up. Um, and then uh, this is something that I have in like my uh, my course where it's like, hey, one of the best ways to like create engagement is we're not doing it now because we're not on Zoom. But most of the time, you're on a Zoom, you're sharing your software, your your screen is like this, that prospect screen is like this. You're no longer talking about whatever is on the screen. You're maybe sort of digressing a little bit. And so the mistake that AEs make is they stay on screen when they should stop sc- uh, screen share and just show face to face. Yeah, that's a great way to like just pattern interrupt and create major engagement. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, I know, you know, it's such an easy thing to forget that like, oh, we're still looking at the screen, yep. but it'd be much more engaging if they can get a better picture of you and your body language and your camera 
eye, your virtual eye contact. Yeah. Right. Uh, which I mean, and that's another big mistake I see on a lot of people on demos is they don't look at the camera. You know, they're looking off to the side. People think maybe you're multitasking. They don't know what you're doing, right. but it feels like you're not paying attention to them, right? And people want you want to feel like you're the most important thing in that moment. And it's and in you know in a virtual environment and on a demo and all that. It's it can be hard to pull off. And uh, I think a lot of sellers tend to struggle that. But so I love the idea of stop the screen share and kind of refocus the conversation reframe that sort of you know uh camera yeah. right you can also minimize like um minimize the actual like small image of you and the prospect and put it like right under the webcam like right yeah. here um and yep. then maybe put like a little sticky note or something to signify like hey it's here so you're always defaulting to whatever that area is yeah it's it's hard i mean i do podcasts like this. I go on podcasts a lot. I have lots of Zoom conversations, like eight to 10 a day. And even for me, who I'm doing it every day, all day long, sometimes I forget to look at the camera. Yeah, like, I'm, I mean, I'm not looking at the camera right now. I'm looking straight at your face that's mid-screen. Right, which is just, it's just like a natural instinct that I want to look at you when I'm talking, but I really need to be looking at the camera. Yeah. Um, and so it can be challenging, but the more you, I think you can kind of focus or refocus on that, you're going to have more success in those virtual conversations. Um, anything else, anything else that we haven't kind of touched on that, that you think is important to bring up to, you know, close 50% more of your demos? Yeah, I don't think so. Like, I don't think it's one thing, one skill that if you master this skill, your demo rate is going to go through the roof. I think it's a, like a concoction, like a cocktail of skills. Um, tonality is definitely one of them. Discovery is probably the most important part. Um, I think like, you know, I listen to sales demos. I coach AEs. Um, they're sending me their recordings and I listen to it and they're not spending enough time on discovery. Um, I'll give you like a perfect scenario. Um, one of the things uh, people say is like, oh, you should be happy. You should have active listening as a skill. I call bullshit on it. Like active listening is important, but it's such a like s surface level skill set. What you need is like proactive listening where you're reading in between the lines. So let's do like an experiment. Like I do this with uh, some of the people I train. Um, ask me how my day was. How was your day more? It's okay. What is like reading in between the lines? What is the sentiment of my day? So if I wasn't reading in between the lines, I would be like, I would just check that box. Okay, I asked that question. Let's go to the next question or next yeah. step of the process, right? But reading in between the lines there is like, oh, I feel like there was a little hesitation. Like, was there something yeah. that happened in your your day that was you know less than desirable? Like, tell me more about that. Yeah, so exactly. Like, So you read in between the lines, you called it out. Like, you saw that I didn't explicitly say that my day wasn't so great, but you just felt it or heard it or whatever it is. So I don't think AEs are doing that enough. And so if they're getting on a call with a the prospect, they'll ask, like, this is a true story. They'll ask a prospect, like, hey, what's the reason you're looking to leave the competitor? And the prospect will say, oh, well, every time I reach out to customer support, they're giving us the runaround. They're not, they're taking too long to answer. And so AE is making note, all right, they want really good customer support. They want fast response. Sure, that may be true, but that's not what they said. They said, every time we reach out to customer support, they give us blah, 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 blah. So a proactive listener says, hold on, wait a minute, why are they having to reach out to customer support all the time to the point where it's causing them to look for another solution? Let's ask, hey prospect, out of curiosity, I mean, you mentioned that you mentioned that you always have to reach out to customer support. 
why do you always have to reach out to customer support? And many times what you'll get is, oh, well, we're trying to do X, Y, Z feature. And then that's where you're unraveling whatever the pain point really is. And so by reading in between the lines and proactively listening, you're able to discover what the prospect really wants. And so that comes on discovery. And that discovery session doesn't start only in the beginning of the call. It lasts throughout the call. So if they're if you're asking them about feedback at one point throughout the demo um, and they give you some very vague sort of broad response, dig deeper. Pay attention to what they're not explicitly telling you. Uh, and that just comes with practice and being curious and listening, proactively listening. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Uh, I love those examples of the difference of like active listening to like proactive listening, right? Because uh, a lot of assumptions can be made when yeah. you're just active listening. Um, and I have to tell you, when you first said you call bullshit on that, I was like, um, this might be something we we disagree uh, we on. <laughs> disagree on. But you made a great case in point, and and I'm definitely I'm bought in on that um, idea there, and it makes a lot of sense, right? So those are some great examples. So look for opportunities where you can go deeper, or be more curious, or even just read somebody's body language or tone. Yeah, that there's there's more there's more there than just that surface level response, right? Um, and, and some, I mean, that's where some huge discovery can happen. That's going to arm you with the information that you need to crush the demo and to close the deal. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's not that they're looking for faster support. Like maybe there's a key feature that they got sold on that doesn't work. Right. And that's something that you guys, you know, your product is it excels at. Right. Um, so, so there's a lot that can be, you know, uncovered in through having honing that skill. So more, I know that, uh, you got something special for everybody who tune in today. Um, let people know, you know, where they can find it, how they can take advantage of what you prepared for them today. Yeah, for sure. So I released a, a course for, um, AEs or aspiring AEs. A lot of SDRs want to become AEs. And so this would be the perfect opportunity. It's called, uh, from demo to close FDTC. Um, and so essentially anyone listening to this podcast, um, at Salescast will get a 15% discount across the board. Um, so the discount code is Salescast. I'll tell you where to find it. Go to demotoclose.com. That's the landing page. You click on any one of those call to actions. Click on that. It'll take you to the actual page where you can purchase the, co uh, the course. When you go purchase it, you'll have an option for a discount code. Salescast, one word, lowercase. You get 15% off. Awesome. We're going to drop the link and the discount th code there in the show notes for everybody. More thanks so much for coming on today. If you enjoyed today's episode, please write us a review. Share the show with your friends. It really does help us out. And we're always listening for your feedback. You can go to salestransformation.fm, drop us a voice DM, and we will get back to you. Hey, you stuck around. That tells me you're serious about your own sales transformation. If you're tired of doing things the old way and want to get started in your journey with other people on the same path, head over to salescast.community and crush your numbers on your leaderboard. Yeah, it's free. Salescast.community. Send me a DM with your best pitch and mention this ad, and I might even give you free access to our best templates.